Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of First Plane Asia, host of the Made in China podcast, host of the NWO podcast. Uh, what else is there? There's the Discord and the Source Plane Asia YouTube channel. So you're probably seeing this on YouTube or uh, any podcast platform that you listen to. And I am joined by uh, my esteemed host, Gary Huang. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Gary, do you want to just introduce yourself? Yes, absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on, Rico. Uh, greetings from Tokyo, and uh, very excited to be here. As Rico mentioned, um, I am organizing the first ever e-commerce conference for Amazon seller in Japan, uh, April fourth to the fifth. And uh, I've been selling on online on Amazon for a number of years. I have a sourcing background. I used to live in Shanghai for eleven years from two thousand eight to twenty nineteen. Um, so my background is sort of like the intersection between e-commerce and supply chain. Um, I'm from the States originally, I'm from LA, uh, born and raised, as you can see from my hat. And, um, yeah, currently in Japan for about two and a half years so far with my family. Nice. Do you have, uh, what do you say your family? Do you mean like uh, wife and kids? Yeah. So with my wife and my four-year-old son. So yeah, we're, we're, uh, we just moved to Tokyo like two months ago. So we're adjusting we're here. Nice. Why? Well, uh, just uh, if you don't mind me asking, why? Why? Uh, why, why Japan and why Tokyo? Why Japan? Um, I think ever since I was a kid, you know, I've always been fascinated with like Nintendo and, you know, when I was a kid, like, my mom just left me with like this origami book mm. like instead of hiring a babysitter so i was like just looking at the pictures and figuring it out like how to make a paper crane and stuff and you know like all the coolest video games were from japan like you know from nintendo um so i've always had a fascination since uh, you know the culture the food and um yeah and living in uh shanghai before for over 10 years i mean it was a quick it was a short fly from shanghai to tokyo my wife and i you know she's from shanghai we've always you know came here for the food and you know for like you know the hot springs um you know all that stuff so it's always been kind of a dream for us to at least spend part of the year in shanghai but um you know maybe we can talk about what happened during covid so our dream i guess our dream came true uh so we are uh yeah we're currently living in japan now nice so many so many questions we're gonna try to keep the podcast brief you're busy and I'm, I'm busy as well and then of course we 
we need to edit it as quick as uh, quick as possible. But um, I do have a question, two questions. What initially brought you to Shanghai? And the second question would be, um, well, no, the first question would be, have you ever watched a documentary called Jiri Dreams of Sushi? Yes, of course. Of course. Any it's chance that uh, you, you've been to the restaurant yet? That's a... um, I don't even know. If, I mean, I le- yeah, unless you're like, you have an inside connection. I don't know if it's even possible to get a table there anywhere, any really? you know, anytime. Uh, yeah, I mean, I heard that one of his sons branched out to open like, he like, opened a restaurant, yeah. Yeah, so maybe that could be a possibility. But to be honest, there's so much good sushi and there's so many good sashimi places. I mean, yeah. I don't even know, you know, what to choose, you know, to get started. But, um, but yeah, yeah. Um, I, I have seen that. It's just like, you know, the example of the Japanese dedication to the details, you know, to the craft, you know, someone like Jerry just spending his whole life dedicated to just learning how to like slice fish right yeah. prepare fish nice. and, you know, I, learned, I think yeah i learned so much from that documentary uh just because like first time i had sushi was in toronto and then you just kind of learn from how other people are eating and stuff like that right yeah and then in the documentary he was like he was saying that he doesn't like it when people dip the sushi in um soy sauce Already puts a little bit of soy sauce inside the roll mm. and yeah. all this stuff. He's like, you're not supposed to do it like that. Like, you just yeah. eat the yeah. sushi the way it is. Yes. And yeah. he gets, he kicks out people from his restaurant. <laughs> I was like, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of, if you do want to go to that restaurant, like uh, my understanding is that you have to either book it through like an agent or through like a five-star hotel. Like, Yeah. Yeah, like, like what I said, unless you have some sort of inside connection, right? Mm-hmm. Whether eating or you know, staying at the Grand Pyeong, um, it would be very difficult. And many of those popular restaurants, they're like they're like that. And I mean, Tokyo is probably one of the greatest greatest cities in the world for restaurants. I mean, uh-huh. all kinds of cuisine. Um, there's like I think more Michelin star restaurants here than anywhere in the world. So, yeah, it's 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 really amazing. That that's like one one of the big reasons. And but at the same time, you. You don't have to go high end. You can just go to like a local ramen place, you know, for like 10 bucks. And that ramen is probably going to, you know, if it were in like, I don't know, in Shanghai, it would probably be the number one ramen restaurant in town. But here it's just yeah. like one of one of like a million places, you know, for there's, it's like a ridiculous amount of selection. Nice. So let's, let's start at the beginning. We talked yesterday for the first time. You told me you're a second generation um, uh, Chinese American. Uh, yes. Yeah. And then, so then it's interesting that I, what I wanted to talk to you about is your story or at least a brief history of your, your family. And yeah. then, um, the idea of, you know, you going back to China. Yeah. Even though you, you were born in the States and everything. So, yeah. you know, what was that like in, in the sense of how Chinese people view you, how the business was for you and all those kind of things. Like I always yeah. find very fascinating. Yeah. Rico, that. That question could be a whole entire podcast by itself. So we I'll try to. We should probably schedule yeah. a second podcast about, yeah. about yeah. moving well, to China specifically. Yeah, I'll I'll give you like the quick like eighty twenty roll summary of that. My family is from mainland China, from Beijing originally. Mm-hmm. So um, my mom and my grandma moved from Beijing to LA in the late seventies. They were very early because at that time very few mainlanders were able to make it to 
the U.S. Um, we had some family that had studied in the U.S. at um, universities, so they were able to, through their connections, allow them to come. Yeah, so my, my dad was still working in Beijing at the time. So long story short, my mom and my grandma went to the U.S. first, and I was in my mom's stomach. So my mom was pregnant with me. She didn't know it at the time. So yeah. at the beginning, they didn't necessarily decide or plan to stay in the U.S., but because she was pregnant, later she found out and that it was already kind of late in the pregnancy. So obviously, like, she, did, she didn't want to risk the long-haul flight. So I was born in the U.S. and kind of the rest is history, right? Because, if you're, you know, I was born and I'm American by birth. So, you know, they were able to stay. And then my, my dad came over later. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my family background. Um, I speak Mandarin Chinese. Um, I was very, very fortunate to have a, um, have you heard of Tiger Mom before, Rico? Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So my, my mom was just too busy with her business to be a tiger mom. So I had tiger grandma and my grandma was like super tough on me. Like after school, you know, she would force me to study Chinese. Like we only spoke Mandarin Chinese at home in LA. Um, so that's how I picked up the fundamentals of my, my Mandarin. Um, so I'm very thankful now you know, for that. But at that time, you know, it, it was a pain in the butt. I mean, I had to do extra homework, you know, the Chinese, you know, I learned, I learned about that tiger mom concept through this TV show called Fresh Off the Fresh off the boat. Fresh off the boat. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of like, you know, my favorite shows. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's very prevalent even culture. Like, you know, like if you get a B or a B plus, they're like, you know, why didn't you? Get... And it's you know not. But anyways, um, yeah, that's how I picked up my 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 Chinese. Well, I grew up in the states. And why did I go to Shanghai? Um, I did study abroad when I was in university. I went to um. Peking University. I did two semesters there. I guess I kind of rebelled against my my family because they wanted me to be like pre-med, become a doctor, and it just wasn't my thing. And then I just discovered I had this gift for Chinese. Um, you know, when I went to China, like everything sounded very familiar because at that time growing up in, in the States, um, I'm kind of dating myself. I think I'm a little older. Um, it was the eighties and there weren't many like Mandarin Chinese speakers. Everyone was speaking Cantonese. Um, mm. you know, everyone immigrated from like Guangzhou a lot I'm, earlier. Right. You, yeah. You look very, uh, very young. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. you. It's because I, I, I'm, yeah, maybe it's the genes. Maybe it's because I got a hat on. So, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man. Um, so I never really discovered like my Chinese like gift until I went to Beijing for the first time um, after high school. And then I saw like, wow, you know, I can converse with this whole group of people. You know, it sounds kind of familiar because that's how we talked at home, you know, so it really kind of like opened the door for me. Um, and then I also did a summer internship in Shanghai. Um, also during my, my college days, this was a long time ago. Um, I was just, you know, we had like two other guys from my university that did a summer internship in Shanghai. Basically, you know, I don't want to say like the job was just like, you know, it wasn't hard, but, you know, we had a lot of things of, you know, the right culture and, you know, karaoke and all that good stuff. And I kind of like was just, um, blown away by Shanghai and, and, uh, yeah, it's just like the lifestyle was amazing. 
So I really wanted to you know, pursue that. So th that's that kind of sparked the you know the the curiosity or all like the passion to want to go to Shanghai. So I I I didn't go to Shanghai directly outside of you know after college because we had some issues at home, um, you know, family issues. Um, um, and then I I actually um, I worked at Google as a contractor like very early on in their pre IPO days. This is two thousand four. So I was working in their online advertising, their AdWords division. So back then, AdWords was very early, like in its infancy. Mm -hmm. So that was like my first exposure into e-commerce indirectly because I saw like all these companies were running ads for like, you know, poker, um, you know, like health supplements, like sex toys, like a ton of porn and all that stuff. And, um, you know, I'm like, there, there's got to be something here, right? They're running so many ads. I mean, they got to be running some some money right so long story short i didn't get the gig at google that was like my first big failure um i, I only got a contract on job for like a couple months but you know i took away from that experience i started selling on online on ebay like in 2005 that was my first experience to me e-commerce brand you know if you want me you know Gary, very, very similar to my uh my business partner uh china mike we call him china mike um from the states uh from chicago mm -hmm. but um so he, he he was doing the same thing he was selling stuff on ebay back, yeah back in the yeah 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 yeah. i mean this was 2005 ebay was the number one e-commerce platform it's like amazon fba right now but this is like almost 20 years ago and then um yeah that's how i got started i, I also did you know arbitrage um you know i would go to like estate sales like saturday morning i would you know, hit up Craigslist. I would go see all of the, the rich neighborhoods like Brentwood, Beverly Hill, the estate sales, you know, get like, you know, their, buy their really expensive clothes, um, you know, stuff like that. And I'll flip it on eBay. Uh, yeah. So that's how I first got started on the e-commerce team. Uh, fast forward to 2008. That's when the, the first financial crisis hit. And then um, basing Olympics, as you guys remember, you know, everybody was talking about China. I'm like, you know, I know that uh, I was there. I really want to make a move. So, I decided to make a move to Shanghai, um, summer of 2008. I remember it was July 5th. Um, it was like right before the August basically on the bigs. I had one really good friend in Shanghai. He let me crash on his town for, um, and I didn't have a job in hand, but unfortunately I was able to find a job in, um, in sourcing. So that's kind of the second chapter. That's how I stumbled upon sourcing. That's how I made it to Shanghai in 2008. Nice. Um, so yeah, I'm going, um, further into it it's like so what was it like uh, in china as yeah. a you know a chinese person coming yeah 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 so and like sound like it. yeah so it's kind of a joke um you know i'm a foreigner everywhere no matter where i go i'm a foreigner even in my hometown in la i just remembered you know talking to someone like i just met they're like you know after a while they're like oh you know um, where are you from? And I would say, I'm from LA. And they're like, you look at you funny. They're like, no, I mean, where are you really from? You know, I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know, my, my parents are from China, right? If you really want to know, I mean, that's what you mean. And they're like, you know, other people say, oh, why is there, you know, English is really good. And I'm like, you know, thank you. I was born here. I mean, <laughs> so even though, you know, born and raised in LA, I'm always a foreigner. But when I went to China, I'm like, hey, you know, I speak Chinese, you know, maybe I can blend in hundred percent, but not exactly because yeah. I mean I, I'm not like a hundred percent 
you know, perfect. But, you know, if I'm in Shanghai, you know, people, they're able to communicate with me fine, but they don't think I'm like, you know, like a Westerner or they think I'm like a Northerner, right? But if I'm in like Beijing, they think, oh, I'm, this guy's like, he's from the South, like, like, I'm really. like there's always something a little bit off, right? So yeah, that's, 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 that's the joke. Yeah. Like wherever I go, I'm like professional foreigner, you know, but you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. I have a sim yeah, yeah. similar situation because I, yeah. I was, I was born in Zambia, but I moved to the States yeah. when, I was, when I was 10. And then I moved to Canada after that. Yeah. So like my accent, um, like people can't place me like where, mm. where the accent is from. Like yeah. Canadians, Canadians can, but like, yeah. uh, when I go in the, you say a, a boat. So that's a more Western Canadian thing. I, yeah. Okay. Than a Toronto thing. But the yeah, okay. difference is like people saying like people that are not from Canada say Toronto. Right. Yeah. And then Canadians say Toronto. It's like it's, it's one of those things that you just pick up on, like when you, when you're talking to somebody, somebody says Toronto, you're like, oh, okay, this person is probably Canadian. But um, uh, yeah, like when I go to Zambia, sometimes it's like, like people see me when they see me, they think of they yeah. know that I'm Zambian, or they they assume that I'm Zambian. And then when I start speaking, they're like, oh, where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, yeah. So it's always like a, this weird thing, like uh, where yeah. I'm like always having to explain, like, yeah, so I was born here, but then I moved yeah. here. And that, like, yeah. well, you know what I mean? It's always a weird yeah. situation for me. So I, yeah. I completely can relate to, to that situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. I wonder with my son, because, you know, my son, he's four. He was born in Shanghai. You know, we're living in, in Japan now. And we're bilingual, right? We speak, my wife speaks to him in Mandarin. I speak to him in English and he's learning Japanese in school. And we also lived in Thailand for a couple months. So he actually mm -hmm. learned a little bit of Thai if I can see if it was in like Thai preschool. So I wonder if, you know, where he'll associate himself with, you know, I he gets older. So. I think, I think he would connect with my business partner heavy because like he doesn't, there's so many similarities, so many similarities. Really? Yeah, you're like yeah. I'd, I'd love to connect offline. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'll I'll make an introduction. Um. Anyways, you move to Shanghai. You start the business, or you start working in the sourcing company. Uh, I started working. I, I hadn't started my own business yet. I I worked for that company for about eight years. Yeah. And learned a lot. I visited you know hundreds of factories all over China. You know, seen the good, the bad, the ugly. You know, from mm -hmm. like DDR, you know, fancy like you know ba battery factories like. You know, like BYD to like the really kind of gritty, you know, you you know what I mean, like the backyard type operations in like Dongbei, you know, the northeast of China. And there's just like exhaust fumes in in the the warehouse. And there's like they don't they're not even wearing masks and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's really sad. But I mean, I really seen a lot when it came to um, the China sourcing side and learned a lot as well. Uh, if you want to ask about like how they perceive me, I mean that. That's that's kind of interesting as well. You know, I went to like a lot of trade shows, you know, all across China, Hong Kong, etc. Um, yeah, just helping my foreign clients. So I was basically like, kind of like the bridge. So at that time, my clients, you know, our agency was very small consulting firm. The boss was Brazilian Chinese. Um, he's Brazilian. He's older. Um, he was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil, but he lived in Shanghai for like decade. You know, he's like old China and then like. The, the the clients were all, were all Brazilian, mm. um, 
So I was like a British. I ended up learning Portuguese um, just on my own because like I visited Brazil several, several times and I kind of was like, you know, I was, I was, I really enjoy like the culture there, the food and it's like their culture is a little different from the rest of Latin America because it's like, I don't know, I just think like they're cooler than the other Latin Americans. But anyway, so if you want to talk about that as well. Um, but yeah, that, so that, so that's, that was like my, my role at the company. I was like the bridge and sometimes I was like translating between like Mandarin, Chinese and Portuguese. Um, mm. yeah, so it was, so it was really interesting. Sounds yeah. complicated. <laughs> yeah. It's really complicated. Yeah. I, I mean, there's, yeah, there's some similarities, but there's some, some differences as well. But, um, but yeah, yeah, that, that was chapter two. Nice. So. Uh, how did you go from what you were doing then to what you're doing now? Ugh. How did that happen? Yeah. So there's, there was like at least two steps. Um, I was working for that company for almost like about eight years. Right. So after a while, I kind of hit a ceiling, um, and the Brazilian economy started to stagnate. And then, um, I just remembered I was in my apartment. I would listen to podcasts, right? I would listen to English podcasts like back. Back in the day, you know, we had like the OG from FBA, like, you know, Scott Volker, the amazing seller. I don't know yeah. if you guys remember him. Um, and, you know, I would hear that. I'm like, hey, I know this stuff, right? You know, I'm, I did eBay before and then I'm, all, I'm here in Shanghai. I can just hop on the high speed rail. You know, I can go to Yiwu. I can go to, you know, Zhejiang, Jiangsu to visit the factories, you know. So I just put two and two together. And then I had um, one of my business partners at that time, you know, we, um, we worked together to create um, a brand I was selling on Amazon in 2016. So, um, that's how I got into, um, Amazon FBA. I mean, it wasn't a big jump because when I was selling on eBay at that time from 05 to 08, I actually started selling on Amazon as well, but there wasn't FBA yet. It was, you know, self-fulfillment. So I had a little foray into Amazon very early, but FBA, we, I started about 2016. I feel like the, the, that was around the time when um, there was a big jump in, in FBA because yeah. like, like uh, even Amazing Seller podcasts like you mentioned uh, and then that was around the time when I had the big jump of uh, FBA clients as well. Yeah. Are you selling on FBA before? No. I, I mean, we've, we've ventured a few times, but yeah. And nothing can hit because we were still focused on the growing of the actual sourcing company. Like yeah. I, I wanted to do that early on, but then my mentor, one of my mentors at the time told me to yeah. just kind of focus on like growing the, the sourcing business, which I think was a good idea anyways, because I think I would have spread myself too thin. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's never, it's never a hundred percent too late. But obviously it's more, there's a higher barrier to entry now than there was before. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So from FBA to running uh, conferences and events, you're probably wondering, how do I make the jump? So I sold for several years and then it was 2018. And then um, my wife and I got pregnant with our son. So, you know, previously I would fly out to conferences in Hong Kong. And at that time, you know, my wife was expecting any day. So I, I was grounded, obviously. Um, so I thought rather than me being left out of, you know, what people are doing, teaching, uh, why not invite these like seven figure sellers to teach me and to teach everybody else online. 
So that's kind of the genesis behind the Seven Figure Seller Summit, which I first started in 2018. Um, it was really designed to you know help sellers like myself and you know a lot of other people watching. You know, over the years, we, we had like over 10,000 10, people that watched, uh, that attended online. Um, so that's how I made the jump to doing conferences. It was really, you know, to kind of scratch my own itch, basically. Before we jump into the actual events, just want to yeah. talk, like, what, what were some of the most difficult situations you had in, in business and how did yeah. over, overcome them? Difficulties, you know, we, we had like a little chat before the, the recording. You know, you asked me how people perceive you as a Chinese American in China, right? Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit on the personal side, but on the business side, when I attend trade shows, you know, with like uh, a Chinese space, a lot of the, the, the booth owners, they first think that I'm like, like a trading company or I'm like a competitor. You know, they don't think of me as a client first, right? Even if I'm representing my client or even if I'm looking to buy for my own business, the first impression when they see another Chinese face is this guy's probably like a competitor. He's trying to like, you know, spy on me, right? <laughs> so I get like a lot of that type of like pushback. Like sometimes they don't even want to talk to you, right? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of sad because they're kind of discriminating against their own, our own people, yeah, which, exactly. which is, yeah, but I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But, um, so what I did to get around that is whenever I go to a trade show first, I don't speak in Chinese. I yeah, don't speak in English. So when I only speak in English, they think, okay, you know, this guy's, you know, he's not, not like, you know, a competitor, right? He's, you know, he's probably a client, like all those other like white people or black people or whatever. Right. Um. So after a while, then I say, oh, um, I can speak Chinese. And then we start to speak in Chinese and then kind of already build some rapport or like one C in China, so to speak. Um, so that's one way around it. Um, yeah. So I would kind of like underplay my Chinese to try to mm -hmm. get, you know, my foot in the door. And then I would do that in certain situations. Um, you you got to be like, I mean, in China, you got to be like, your mind has got to be like quick. Yeah, you gotta, gotta be go playing, playing chess a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. like I, even for me, it's like I I would sometimes. Um, well, I always yeah. have to take my stuff with me for um, factory visits. Yeah, unless I was like familiar with the factory, and the factory was like uh, my sales rep. Uh, so yeah, good good English, but like I would always take them. But then I can speak Mandarin, mm. and I can mm. understand. Maybe not yes. as as good as uh, everybody else, mm. but, uh, enough where it's like, if somebody's talking about something related to my project or me or whatever, I mm. can understand that. But I would make it sound like I'm not, like I can't understand anything, mm. Mm. something like that. And yeah. then and then I would just want to hear what they're saying about me before, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I like that, yeah. You know I mean? A lot of times that happens. I mean, yeah. I, a lot of times, you know, my, Brazilian client is sitting right next to me yeah. and then the the factory would just like speak privately to me right in front of his face it's like oh, this law why this he doesn't know what he's talking about like, you tell him you know blah, blah, blah. They'll, yeah they'll, they'll just like assume you don't understand anything so. exactly yeah yeah it was always interesting in those situations like oh okay so they in in certain situations if they're speaking to uh speaking about you you know or yeah. order in a negative way yeah. like yes well, I'm not I'm not going to work with this factory. Yes. Like, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. So like, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's a smart move to, 
kind of kind of make yourself seem stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like how they, you gotta, yeah, yeah. It's like the the art of war, right? Your son's yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so okay. So talk to me about the the conference. I want to I want to know more details about the conference. How they're gonna go? Uh, McLeany's gonna be there. Yeah, definitely. So this is the 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 first ever, um, again the first ever Amazon conference in Japan. Like, there's never even been one in Japanese. Um, and then uh, I feel, you know, why did I create this? It's because Amazon Japan is the fourth biggest marketplace for Amazon in the world, right? Mm -hmm. But there's not too many people selling on Japan. So I think you know it's almost like a real estate, you know, opportunity, like. It's like one of the the biggest hottest properties and you know maybe in town but nobody's even looking at it nobody's even talking about it so i think it's really you know it's like one of the the secrets in amazon selling right where everyone knows talking about. i really wanted to create an event to help sellers like let's say if you're a seven-figure seller uh you're already selling in the u.s you're or if you're already selling in europe amazon um there's a way that you can move your listings into japan um, there's like certain advantages that you can get. So, you know, that's the main thing. I, I just, and then after I moved to Japan, I see Amazon is everywhere. I mean, you see like those Amazon boxes and Amazon recently, they took over Rakuten. Amazon is the number one biggest online market yeah, so they in Japan. Rakuten? No, no, they did not acquire Rakuten. They just beat Rakuten. Yeah. Oh. Rakuten was like the number one incumbent, but mm. Amazon just took them over, meaning they, you know, they jumped over them, right? Because Amazon has like the, the efficient logistics. They have the, the trust, the reputation. They have Prime here as well. They have in Tokyo, they have same day delivery. Um, mm -hmm. They even deliver to like remote places like Okinawa, you know, where I live for two and a half years, right? And then, so yeah, Amazon, you know, when I moved, do you, do when you know I, how they did that? That's a really good question. Um, I know that Amazon is more popular among younger people in Japan and also more males. Rakuten is the reverse. It's more older people and more female. Um, but I think it's just like the delivery efficiency. Mm. Like, I mean, there's like prime same day delivery. Nobody's can compete with that. You know, one example is I was looking for a TV for my, you know, we moved to a new Tokyo apartment. And we moved there. I mean, basically, there's just like one air conditioner on the wall, and then the floors are all just like wooden. There's nothing there, so we had to buy everything. And you know, I went to an electronics store, like Big Camera, which is like the biggest one in Japan. I was trying to get a TV, and I, I saw, you know, I wanted, I told them a model, and then they said, "Oh, I'm sorry, we're out of stock." And then I just brought it up on Amazon. I'm like, "Hey, you know, they have it on Amazon." It was like next day delivery, and then you know, like you know, what I asked them, like, I mean, does another location have it? He's like, he just told me like, you know, kind of like a hustle voice. He said, if, if I were you, I would just order off of Amazon yeah. and they ship for free and, you know, they're so <laughs> fast and, you know, we can't compete. Right. Cause yeah. like those stores or like, you know, they, they just don't have the supply chain efficiency and Amazon's done this in, you know, like dozens of countries all over the world. Right. Like yeah, they, 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 they just have that. In insert themselves into the market. Yeah. Yeah. And Amazon actually has been in Japan for at least 10 years because one of the the speakers at our conference, he's an eight-figure seller, uh, Bernie Thompson. He's been selling in Japan for 10 years. So it's been here at least 10 years. They're, they didn't just join recently, but that that's the, the other surprising thing. You know, 10 years here, there's still not many people selling. There's only, 
I mean, in the U.S., there's millions of sellers, right? But in Japan, there's only 173,000. So, I mean, it's just the level of the competition is, is a lot lower than everyone else. And, and, then, and what's the population in Japan? There's 126 million people in Japan, 126 million. Um, there's third biggest GDP in the world after U.S. and China. Uh, a lot of people you know, forget that. Japan's not a small country. Mm. Right? It's the third biggest economy in the world. And I think the e-commerce penetration rate is about 73%. So many, many people use Amazon. Um, I, I'm, I'm actually across the street from this like little auto repair shop. I don't know if you can see like those boxes on the shelf. Yeah, little Amazon yeah, right. face right on the box right, right behind me. Yeah. Uh, you probably can't see that, but yeah, Amazon is everywhere. Yeah. It's, so, been, like, it's, yeah. So then the question yeah. I guess for somebody that's listening to this right now, what if they, you mentioned the benefits, some of the benefits, um, yeah. of attending the conference. If I'm selling in the U.S., yes, uh, Japan is a big market. What is the difference yeah. between selling on, you know, Amazon U.S. or Europe and, and, and yeah. like, what are the yeah. things that I would have to change about my product, yeah. the way I do things? Yeah. Um, there's a couple of myths that people think, like some misconceptions. Uh, number one is you don't need to register a Japanese company to sell on Amazon Japan. You can use your foreign LLC. Um, you don't need a Japanese business partner. You don't even necessarily need to know Japanese. Like for me, my Japanese is maybe at like a first grade level. I can't write a listing. I can't do the customer service, but there's ways around it. I mean, Amazon Seller Central Japan is can be all in English. So it's, if you're familiar with Amazon US or Europe, it's the same thing. And there's no VAT in Japan. So unlike Europe, where you have to go through all that bureaucracy, all that you know cost, you don't have to do any of that for Japan. You can just come right in. Um, but I'm not saying there's no challenges, right? Obviously, uh, there are things you need to do differently. Uh, number one is you need to translate your listings all into Japanese, right? Number two is you need to provide customer service in Japanese. Okay. There's also ways around that. I mean, I hired a part-time Japanese uh, VA, a virtual assistant. Um, so he was able to do the customer service. Any times we had case cases with Amazon, he was able to support on that. He was able to call them um, so you can get VAs to do that. Another important difference is on the import side, and this is a big one. For anybody that wants to sell into Japan, to import into Japan, you have to have a import or importer of record that's located in Japan. Okay. This is one big difference. You cannot use like a US LLC or a Hong Kong company to ship into Japan and be the IOR. It has to be a company or like an individual with a Japanese address. So um, that's one big difference. Another big difference is in terms of the compliance. The compliance regulations in Japan are a little bit different from the US. There are certain categories that they pay more scrutiny to, um, supplements, cosmetics, medical products, anything that touches um, food or, or drink. Um, those will be more closely scrutinized. So they might, they will require more certification. And that could be more costly. So my advice is definitely to talk to an importer of record or IOR that's familiar with Japanese import laws and regulations. Right? One example is one of the products that I'm selling is a kitchen product. I've sold in the U.S. for a number of years. It's a six-figure brand. I did the online research for Japan. I searched for it. I saw there was zero competitors. I'm like, oh, shoot, this is like a new ocean opportunity, man. I want to jump right in. But fortunately, I spoke to the importer. And they found out that the Japanese law actually only allows this kitchen product in professional kitchens, only in mm -hmm. restaurants. 
not in private homes. It's actually like one of the components is illegal to be sold in Japan. So there's no market for this. So luckily I talked to the importer. So they advised me don't ship it in if you can't sell it, right? If I didn't do that, if I just like shipped it, it either would have been stuck at customs, confiscated, or if I got to Amazon's warehouse, there's no way that I can sell it, right? So that would be a nightmare trying to take it out. You know, I think everyone knows like the, the headache with that. So the moral of the story is you have to speak to an importer that is familiar with the regulations in Japan, the compliance testing, so that you can make sure that you import, um, you know, safely. You know, check your product, check your HS codes, in other words, um, before you import into Japan. Um, those are a couple of the, the big differences off the top of my head. And you mentioned you have a turnkey solution for this? These pieces of the puzzle, right? The importing, the compliance, et cetera. I invite all of these, these experts to the conference. So they're going to be at the same place in the same room. So if you have a question about, um, you know, importing into Japan, okay, talk to that guy over there. If you have a question about compliance, what do I need for compliance testing for my, um, you know, for my kitchen product? Okay. Talk to that lady over there. Right. If I have a question about, you know, translations, right, or PPC, okay, you know, talk to that person over there. Everybody's in the same place at the same time. So it's going to be a, a mastermind. It's going to, it's not going to be a huge event. There's only going to be around, I estimate about 50 people. So you're going to, over the two and a half days, you're going to have plenty of time to network, to ask questions, to learn more from, you know, there's like eight bigger sellers coming, like, like Brandon Young, you know, he's like one of the, the top sellers in the U.S., like, you know, $35 million gross revenue. Um, you know, he hasn't sold in Japan, so he, he's coming to learn. So, you know, you, you'll be sitting alongside these people and, you know, it's like what you said. I mean, it's like what, um, you know, Jim Rohn said, like, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So okay. this is going to be a great opportunity to surround yourself with other successful sellers from all over the world. And, you know, these people, maybe they can become potential, you know, accountability partners or, you know, maybe mastermind partners or, or maybe just like, you know, having another friend to bounce ideas off, you know, in the e-commerce world. Cause it's, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't know, like in my physical, like network of friends here, I, I don't have so many that are like in the whole e-commerce game. Right? So, so yeah, that, that's kind of a nutshell what I mean by the drinking solution as a event. Dude, I used to have that in China in terms of a uh, network. Um, yeah. People in the similar industry, but like, um, not so much in the, in the Philippines, but what is the name of the actual conference? And then can yeah. you read like the, the link as well? The, the name of link in the, yeah, the description yeah. as well. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I should, I should do a better job with uh, the marketing. So the name of the conference is the seven figure seller Japan mastermind. It's mm -hmm. going to be in Tokyo, April 4th to the 5th. And the website is seven figure seller Japan mastermind.com. And it's an in-person event for two days. Okay, and we'll link it up in the description, guys. Will you uh, will you have any sort of content around this? <laughs> what do you mean? And then are you going to be recording any of the the presentations or? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, my my main focus now is making this in person event the best it can be because we have come back to my components during this event. So this way, you can sit down, you can ask questions. Um, we're going to record all of the, the talks, all of the trainings, but we're not going to record, obviously, you know, like the small group discussions, right? So, um, we will have some recordings available, um, afterwards for people that well, can attend. I'm asking for the audience and for myself as well, because obviously I'm not, I'm not going to be able to go, uh, like my birthday is a day before 
<laughs> the conference starts. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. I think but, uh, Mike's birthday is around the same time. You guys have, like, close birthdays. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not no. yeah. Oh, Michelini. Yeah, me and Michelini. Yeah, Michelini. Yeah. His, um, his birthday is, like, a day before or a day after mine. And yeah. we, st- we still, for years, we've been talking about doing a joint birthday party, but, like, it's it's never materialized. So, yeah, my birthday is a day before, so it's a little bit... There's some plans that I had. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyways, uh, I, I definitely think it's something, it's a fantastic idea. I think that there's a huge opportunity there. And that's why I was asking about the recordings because yeah. to be able to watch and learn from whoever is doing the presentations and things like that. Yeah. For the audience, I mean, it's obviously very relevant for my, for my audience. A lot of my clients sell on Amazon. A lot of my audience is interested in selling on Amazon and expanding their Amazon businesses. So if, you know, Japan is an opportunity that hasn't been tapped into, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And one thing I forgot to mention, Miko, is Amazon is presenting at our event as well. They have one executive flying all the way from Seattle to Tokyo to present. So I think that goes to show the the importance of number one, the Japan opportunity for Amazon. Number two, you know, this is like a legit event. You know, it's not just some event that some guy just threw together, right? If you look at the lineup of speakers, you know, many of these people are like, you know, they've won awards. Um, you know, Rich Java, for example, she won like the best speaker at BBSS recently. Um, and then someone. But some of these other speakers, they've never spoken before, like, you know, the Japanese import of record that that's like, nobody knows of a legitimate Japanese import of record. I'm shocked. And it's just like a huge company. So I think there's going to be a lot of you know new information that we're going to unveil because, you know, for anyone that's coming into Japan now, it, it's still very early. Like they're going to be like the first movers, you know, but maybe next year, maybe in a couple of years, the market will be more saturated. Right. So I think if you are interested right now, is the best time to go. I, I mean, the other thing is we're, we're doing it right in the middle of the cherry blossom season. As you can see behind me, there's like, you know, the cherry blossoms are in bloom now. So it literally is the best time of year to visit Japan. Um, many people just come to Japan just to see this, right. You know, just for mm. tourism. And then we're also going to have a cherry blossom networking event and the evening of day one on April 4th. So we're going to uh, a big park here in Tokyo. We're going to lay down some spreads with, you know, Japanese sake, uh, sushi. Nice. Uh, I don't think we can get zero sushi, but, you know, we'll have some pretty good sushi, uh, and some networking with other sellers and the speakers. So it's, we're really going to have a, a unique Japan experience you cannot get anywhere else in the world. And, you know, we're going to do like karaoke and uh, you, got, you got some surprises lined up as well. Um, so everyone gets like good, you know, cultural experience as well, not just the business and, you know, for business owners, you know, this is a business expense that you can potentially write off, right? Because you are attending a business conference. So, you know, that airfare, the hotels, I, I know it, you know, airfares are high, but at the same time, they'll consider that it might be a write off. Don't take this as tax advice, legal advice. I'm not an accountant, but, you know, from an entrepreneur perspective, it is pretty common models. You know, anytime you attend a conference, it is a business expense. Hopefully, some, this can help some people. So, yeah, I mean, Amazon is coming. We have importers of record coming. We have compliance specialists, um, mobilization specialists, Amazon PPC for Japan. Uh, basically, it's A to Z, right? Like all the connections you need, uh, you're going to find here in the same place. I mean, that that's the whole point, right? 
I mean, you don't have to try to find everything online. You know, to be honest, like there isn't a lot of information online as of now to sell on Amazon Japan. So, I mean, if you really want to fast track this, this can take, I mean, you can cut like months off of the, the time it takes for to, to get started. And, you know, just building these connections, it could be even more valuable than the, you know, the, the knowledge that you learn. Mm. That's good. Why, why do you think it is that people have not like, uh, started selling on Amazon, um, in Japan more like, well, you know, what do you reason. I know people are intimidated by the language barrier. You know, Japanese is very different than, you know, like even Spanish or, you know, German, right? Because it's, it's a totally different script. Um, mm -hmm. so that's one issue. Uh, another issue is just, you know, like the lack of information out there and, you know, not too many people are talking about Japan. I mean, there's probably only one or two people talking about Japan where, you know, there's more people talking about like Amazon UAE. You know, Poland, Australia, and those markets are a lot smaller. And then I think the third thing is the, the locals in Japan, culturally, um, they're not as risk averse as some other, um, country, right? So in Japan, you know, one example is my Japanese virtual assistant. Um, I, I met him actually at Uniqlo in in Japan, in Okinawa, um, he spoke excellent English. He provided great customer service for, you know, my family. I'm like, so I connected, I kept in touch with him. So, I mean, he works, I mean, he graduated college and he's working, um, a, a full-time job in, uh, in tech now, but he wants to venture out on his own to do like his side business, but his parents, he doesn't want to tell his parents because his parents are not really supportive of that. So it's, it's like one example, the Japanese culture is like very conservative, like people want like a stable job and it's not really like a risk averse culture. Unlike China, you know, like the joke is, you know, everyone in Shenzhen selling on Amazon, even like the barbershop owner, even like the taxi driver, right? like here, it's not really, you know, encouraged, so to speak. So I think that's another reason why there's not too many sellers. Yeah. I think those are the, the main, but I mean, as entrepreneurs, if you look at it this way, right. These challenges are there, but when you overcome these challenges, these challenges are like a barrier to entry against your competition. The people that are not willing to go over these challenges, right? It's like a moat around your business. So think about that, you know, when it, when you are considering, I mean, and entering Japan, it could be cheaper. It could be faster than launching a new product because I forgot to mention this. If you're already selling in US, you have some success. Let's say your product is selling, you have, let's say like 600 reviews, right? One thing you can do is you can move those global reviews from Amazon.com to Amazon Japan. So that way, when you launch in Japan, you carry over the 600 reviews from day one. You don't start from zero. You start from 600. Nice. And then in Japan, the average review threshold is a lot lower, right? Remember, like there's only 173,000 sellers. Right. So maybe in the US, those 600 reviews are like, you know, the middle of the pack, right. But in Japan, maybe you're near the top of the pack, right. From day one, so you have the social proof, you have the trust because Japanese online shoppers, they want to see a lot of reviews. So if you're already selling, you can bring those over. Right. And then also the PPC costs in Japan are lower because there's less competitors bidding. So the average CPC cost in Japan was about 29 cents US per click. 
right? That's unheard of in the U.S. I want, right? Maybe like 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, but in Japan, PPC costs are lower. So, and then third advantage is from the supply chain side. So, Rico, I'm sure you're very aware of this. Just look at the map. Japan is a lot closer to China than the U.S., right? So if you're already getting your product manufactured in Japan, it only takes about seven to 10 days by sea on a boat from Shanghai to Tokyo or to Osaka, right? Compare that to the U.S., you know, it's going to take a month or even longer, right? And then it's going to be cheaper too because the distance is closer, right? So the supply chain side, your deliveries are going to be faster from China to Japan and cheaper, right? So your landed cost is going to be less for the same product. It's probably getting less. And then there's no trade war going on between China, Japan, like China, US, right? So you don't have the extra 25% Trump tariffs that you're still paying in the US. So your landed cost in Japan will be lower as well, right? So all of these factors, right? The lower PPC costs, like the greater number of reviews that you can get, the lower supply chain costs, the shipping, Cost, the faster shipping, you can you know, place smaller orders, like you don't have to put so much inventory, you can churn, you can get the replies to shipments faster, right? These are all reasons why I, I think, you know, it, it makes sense if you're thinking about, you know, expanding your business rather than launching another, you know, SKU that could take like tens of thousands of dollars, you know, why not just invest in starting in Japan? Like the same, you already have the whole supply chain set, right? Just, you know, move, move a shipment into Japan and test the waters, right? So that, that's, that's my um, advice for sellers. If you're already selling and you want to, you know, grow your business to twenty four hundred. Is there anything that we, anything else that we didn't talk about that you wanted to uh, touch on? You mean in terms of business or in terms of what? Anything, anything. I mean, could be business, could be life, but just sort of uh, closing questions. Yeah. Um... Yeah, my mission is to, you know, I'm doing everything I can to help online sellers, um, e-commerce sellers all over the world. I believe that, you know, we are making a um, positive contribution in the world. Um, I work with a, I don't talk about this very much, but I work with a charity, um, a, an orphanage in Cambodia that I visited many years ago. Um, there's about 33 kids in uh, rural Cambodia that I help support. A portion of the proceeds will benefit this charity as well, because in Cambodia, they have the lowest no, they have the fewest doctors per capita than anywhere in the world. So, yeah, so the portion of the proceeds also benefited that. So I think everybody, you know, we're all living our lives and our families and do our best. So that's why I, I create these events, you know, to, to help other entrepreneurs all over the world and also, you know, to try to do some good as well. So, yeah, that's it. What is the smallest thing you've done? That's brought you the most results in in life or business. The smallest thing I've done that brought the most results. So yeah, the eighty twenty principle. Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's every week I do a weekly planner. I'll spend one hour of my time on the weekend to plan the next week, and then I'll review the past week. So that's kind of like the like the guiding principle for the next week. And then I'll, I'll review my projects. I'll look at what I want to be working on, you know, in order of priority. So that helps me because it's kind of like, it's like my boss giving me a sheet, what you should do the next day. If I don't do that, I'm kind of like a ship without like a rudder. I'm just like, you know, flailing in the water. Well, sometimes I'm guilty of that. 
but I, I think that's the thing, like just planning the, the next week because, you know, we got so many things to do. It's crazy. Can you name three podcasts, uh, vlogs, or yeah, blogs that you would recommend to people? It doesn't have to be three of each. It can just be like one of no. each or three podcasts or something like that. Recently, I've been really getting more into AI and ChatGPT. Um, Reed Hoffman, he has a, a really good one. Um, he was talking about ChatGPT. He actually had one podcast where he interviewed ChatGPT in its own voice. That was really interesting about, you know, what sort of new therapy. It's wrong that you mentioned that because my girlfriend just like she's in the process of like starting a a candle business and she she just talked to Chat GPT last week. Yeah, yeah. I I use Chat GPT as well to kind of like aid some things. Um, I think that's a big thing. Uh, Reed Hoffman had several good um, interviews on his podcast. I forgot the name of his podcast. I think it's like Green Green Lever. Mean something maybe someone can fact check that and what else i used to listen to tim ferris a lot but sometimes he gets like he, talk, he has like really random people that i'm not really into um mm. ferris is a good one <laughs> and that <laughs> i'm just playing up my podcast app right now a uh, gray matter is the is the um reed hoffman one and mixergy startup stories by andrew ward favorite like all this kind of interview founder startup founders those would be my my three okay that's that's awesome yeah man thanks for being on the pod and i'm i'm sure the conference is gonna be fantastic and uh we should we should connect more we we should do another podcast about some of the other things we couldn't explore as much you know yeah for sure for sure yeah i I think that there's a lot of cool stuff you're doing, especially in the China sourcing world. Um, yeah, let me know if there's anything that I can do to help out. And um, I'd love to get you on a future session as well. I, I did I actually did a seven-figure uh, sourcing summit last year. And I wish I knew you back then. So if we do do that again, I'd love to get you on that as well. Get some of your insights from, from the, the sourcing world. Yeah, we might be on the eight-figure sourcing situation at that scene. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm there you go. Playing around. Yeah. 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 Um, but, uh, but anyways, um, if people want to reach out to you, how do they reach out? Yeah, they can email me, gary at 8020sourcing.com. So that's spelled 8020sourcing.com. And my name is Gary, G-A-R-Y. And if you want to reach out to us, it's... Uh, Rico at sourcefinancial.com or podcast at sourcefinancial.com. Of course, the website, sourcefinancial.com slash podcasts uh, or contact us. Interesting point just about the 80-20 thing. When I was first starting, yeah, starting starting to redesign the website and stuff like that, like I was looking at like um, other sourcing companies' websites and then just kind of trying to see if there was any things that, from a design perspective, from, you know, um, perspectives, you know, comparing and seeing if we could spark any ideas and, uh, 80, 20 sourcing was one of the websites that, that I came across and it took a few ideas from, I'm, I'm a little bit of a minimalist. So I liked the, you know, 
simplistic like but modern nature of the the site so i, I took yeah. that a little bit of that from 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 yeah. Okay. yeah awesome yeah we we still have that that content of you know we have a lot of article posting best practices trade shows so, yeah if anyone was interested feel free check that out yeah i'm glad that was helpful all right cheers man thanks for having me rico it's been awesome Maybe I should not be drinking before you ask me just how I feel Maybe I should not be drinking before I speak my mind, that's not ideal Yeah, I got a girlfriend Yeah, I should be faithful But I think of you like Wi-Fi And I think of her like cable Last night I got her off for 100 G's No lie, they tryna pray me just to run and breathe I remember Mickey D's for the number threes And I remember TJ Maxx for the summer tees I remember wearing dunks in the dungarees In the gap box